0: Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hello, this is Darren, and welcome to this week's Deeper podcast. We took a two-week hiatus uh, at which point, uh, Mo Tiemann burst into tears, ran out the door, and quit on us. So I am here <laughs> right now. I'm just kidding. Mo is actually not with us today because Mo is probably right about now. They're putting the happy juice in him at the uh, the dentist's office. They are getting ready to uh, put in. I guess no. He said five. Okay. So by the way, James is with us. James, one of the pastors. Uh, hey, everyone. The pastor of parking that spoke this yes. Sunday. Yes. yeah, uh, And we're going to talk a little bit about what, what James talked about. But it, it, my, So Mo has had how many fillings this week? I think he said five. five. He got five yesterday. So five fillings. He is a grown man. And I, look, I, I spent a lot of time around Mo. He does not eat a lot of candy as far as I can tell. But this is like the 14th filling that I can remember him getting in the last uh, 10 years. I've had two fillings. Yeah. He's but but they get in there and i guess there's levels now so he's like defcon 3 cavity which now requires a root canal root, root yeah canal.
0: that's what he's doing
1: right now yeah so at some point uh they're putting the happy juice in him and if i had my way we would be broadcasting uh from his root canal uh, because i think that would have been amazing can you imagine mo on happy juice like i can't like that's a dream. I got a new bucket list item, which is to sit in on a root canal with Mo, because I would love to see him coming out of uh, with the uh, the happy juice with
0: the it. The truths that would be uncovered. Oh, it would be glorious. Yeah, it would be.
1: Yeah, and I for hate sure. it. I do hate it for him because you know we all have our our uh, phobias and our fears and whatever, and and he just just does not care. I don't think anybody loves a dentist. Let's be honest. Yeah, if you're yeah. if you're a dentist, I apologize. I'm not an anti dentite, but I think that uh, Mo's. Particular disdain for the dental science uh, is is pretty high. So the fact that he keeps getting drugged back in there is is either God's sense of humor or Satan
0: just being cruel and unusual. Well, uh, and since he's not here to defend himself, maybe we should just encourage our listeners. You know, if you're feeling led by the spirit, I'm sure he would appreciate a Chick-fil-A, you know, Chick-fil-A gift okay. card. Okay, See, man, James is being spiritual. That's probably yeah. a good idea. He's actually, I'm making fun of him, but this is actually kind of
1: serious. Like they're <laughs> drilling a hole in his mouth and filling it with cement for all I know. So, yeah. If you're a, if you're a Nashville person and you have a heart and you uh while I'm repenting over here, yeah, reach out to Mo. <laughs> he he does love the Chick-fil-A, which maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's Well, that.
0: maybe that's what maybe it's that Chick-fil-A sauce that's
1: <laughs> secretly getting to him. So, uh last Sunday I was out and James uh filled in for me, which was great. Um I was actually out in the Big South Fork riding horses and uh, Micah, our producer uh, was was with me on that. Trip Micah overcame uh he didn't really have a phobia of horses, but I wouldn't say he's a horse guy either. <laughs> How many times had you ridden a horse before that day, Micah? Yeah, zero. None times.
0: Not even in Guatemala when we went. That
1: doesn't count as a horse. He's well, right, no, that, that does true. not count as a horse. It's
0: an oversized burrow.
1: Yeah. They those poor things, man, they're like a race of
0: of tidy horses. Uh yeah. Which, I'm- I felt bad for the one that had to carry me <laughs> up the volcano. Dude, James, how tall are you, 6'3"? 6'4". Yeah, six, yeah, six, so every bit of 6'4". Yeah. Did your feet drag the ground on that thing? It was pretty close, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. That uh, I wish I could have. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, those little things, they live sick lives. Uh, <laughs> and if, if Dante had thought of a ninth level of hell, that would have been it. Little horses going up and down a volcano. Active volcano. Well, yes. All day. So, yeah, these were not... Those horses. These were uh, horses. Horses. Um, I've done this almost every year for the last ten years. Uh, I'm a lot more redneck than I let on, and uh, but it was fun to get some guys out there. Joel, our youth pastor, has a genuine phobia of horses. Um, like like apparently a very genuine one, one that I probably shouldn't mock. Like I just mocked Mo with the dentist, but, um, but it was good to see Joel overcome. Like there was a, there was some bet on um, whether he would actually squeal, if there would be any squealing happening. Uh, he did not. At, at one point I did actually smack Joel's horse uh, with the leather strap just to get a you know, a little send it moment for Joel. <laughs> but um, anyway, that was good. That was great. We were out there. Uh, these guys that I've been on this discipleship journey with for the last year, we just, uh, we've been reading through Wild at Heart, and then we went and lived Wild at Heart for a, a couple of days. and so. But here's the beautiful thing. Uh, while I'm out, um, I, 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 it's just fine. Our church turns out to not meet, need me, so it's fine. And James filled in this last Sunday, which was the first time you've had to do three services, right? The last yeah, time you I spoke two that, services? Yeah, the
0: last time I spoke uh, was just two services. So this was the first time doing three. And i got to tell you, much respect by that third one. I was like forgetting things and like the order. And I was like, what is happening? Doesn't it feel weird? Cause I'm, th- I'll think I'm just talking. Right. Yeah. This, I'm not like digging coal mines in
1: England. This shouldn't be right. this exhausting, but by the third service, yeah, there are definitely moments I've had where I'm thinking, wait, did I just say that and I'm repeating it or am I remembering that from second service? And am I, for sure, just like the, the brain gets scrambled yeah with it so i didn't hear the third i heard the first one uh but i heard great feedback across the board which i, hope, I mean I, for me is encouraging uh, for you because Generally speaking, you only really hear if you if you did bad, you'll hear that. Right, or, right. Or we're honestly, worse is I hear nothing. Like, oh, I wonder if... Yeah, I'm crickets. Yeah. But, uh, but that is the opposite of what we got. We got a lot of really, really great
0: feedback. Yeah, I really appreciate just how many people took the time to kind of shout out on Facebook or, or whatever, or text me personally. And uh, so that meant a lot. So I um, really appreciate that. Well, I think
1: part of it is, you know, obviously you did a great job of delivery, but you your your content, I think, just really spoke to people. Like this idea in Colossians, you know, that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Like
0: as simple as that is, it, it, it's kind of profound, uh, with it. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that's something that the Lord is, um, and you know, this too, like when the Lord's been working in you and your heart in a particular area, um, and you're able to kind of speak with some recent experience or passion with it. I think that, you know, that certainly helps Uh, but it just also felt like it was necessary for the day and age in which we live, where there's so many people, I think vying for, you know, uh, truth claims or they, they've got the corner on Jesus and, and Paul, you know, just kind of even, I mean, this was stuff that was happening, you know, not even 20 years after Jesus leaves the earth. Right. And it's still just as true today that, you know, no, it's Jesus plus nothing. Yeah. And I don't know if it should be encouraging or discouraging. I can never remember because.
1: On the one hand, it's encouraging thinking. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Total biblical idea. On the other hand, Dad gum, can't we get this figured out? Like, is it can't yeah. be that hard? Um, you grew up. I've I've always been. Uh, how do I say this? So I'm fascinated with all the jet streams of Christianity because there are there are all there are so many of them out there, and my previous life in the Christian music world. I'd sort of swam in all of them, you know, the assembly of God, the Southern Baptist, uh, uh even Catholics would have, would book. When Cutlass did the, uh, see a faces video, where there's a scene where like the communion spills all over. And it's like this whole thing about communion, your body's the bread, whatever. uh, and the Catholics went nuts, man. That we got like 20 Catholic gigs that year from like, cause the, they love the communion. Uh, but there was one jet stream of Christianity, uh, that's not true. I'm about to make a connection. I'd not made before. There were two jet streams of Christianity that didn't really care for what I did for a living. Okay. One was the one you were, uh, in mm-hmm. the other was the one I was in, which, uh, we had our own world. We had our own. Uh, so if you were to go to a conference in the world that I was in before, it's the exact same people at every conference they know who they are i would say their names you would have literally no idea what i'm talking about i could sing a song you would have no idea but anybody that was in that world would know you were in the same kind of world just a whole different version of it like i was in the very charismatic version of it right but you were in a
0: would they be cessationist oh 100 yeah 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 although it was interesting i mean we've talked about this before they were cessationists as far as like sign gifts, but the miraculous they were not. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. So that's you know, right. You did say that. Yeah. So the supernatural they were very much all on board with. Okay. But just not like specifically yeah. like tongues would probably be their their, their yeah that'd be a jumping plug. off point yeah, that would yeah. be their jumping that's off our tongue, jumping off yeah. point. Um, that's interesting,
1: but because here's what I've what has resonated, and I we were just laughing about this. Uh, we got at a sermon prep meeting. I didn't know anybody from that world before mostly because ain't nobody calling me from the IFB booking Cutlass or anybody that I represented they Yeah. Were, yeah. They were, they were basically wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah. They were praying for us or not. Um, and then, but the world I was in, they weren't cause they already had their own, uh, people like they weren't bringing Cutlass into their conferences. They had, you know, Yeah, they were not as cool as
0: Cutlass, but yes, we
1: had our own yeah, people right. if you will. <laughs> but, there was one similarity in them. And again, all jet streams, we all believed that Jesus was crucified, resurrected on the third day, you know, for salvation, grace, salvation, all that. So we're all going to be in heaven together. I truly believe that. Uh, and I took away a lot from what I, the, the traditions that I was around. But the one thing that was similar for me that I think came from yours as well was that uh, that grace was not the... Point, it was the starting point it was by grace that I'm saved and now I got to get to work yeah whole lot of stuff I got to do um if I do this uh you know x y and z and I remember when Mark Bourgeois uh, who's another from your, your background uh he said he loved it uh because he's a competitive guy he's very successful in business he said I knew what the rules were if I do one two three and four then I'm going to win and I'm going to succeed and so for him it was that was one of the attractions of it uh for me the bummer of it was I couldn't ever do one, two, three, and four. So I was busy hiding because it was like, I was, it was too ashamed of it. For me, the journey out of it, when I first heard the idea that by grace, you are saved. And, you know, even Paul saying it's for freedom that he set you free. Why would you go back to the law again in Galatians, which is another set of rules. When I first heard that it was, I thought either this is the best news I've ever heard, or this is heresy and there's no middle ground. I couldn't think and it was a journey for me for a while that it took me to that. Like, what what was it like for you? Because you, you were all in. You went to the Bible college. Uh, you met yeah. your wife
0: at a Bible college there. Well, and it really started, um, you know, in terms of the Bible college thing, I only did that because that was all I knew. Like, I didn't know that there were other jet streams out there. And, right. and if, even if there were like what would be an acceptable jet stream like i didn't want to misstep and then end up somewhere on the other side of the spectrum uh but for me i remember i I have this distinct memory of a wednesday night service wednesday night church i mean can you believe that like churches used to do that every wednesday right? (laughs) right yeah And that was on top of Sunday morning and Sunday night service, you know. um, And certainly in my tradition, like the most spiritual people went to all three. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And sat up front. Yeah, 100%. And, but I remember listening to people drone on, on this hymn that, you know, we had sung for the umpteenth time. And I just remember looking around going, there has to be more to it than this, Hmm. which how old were you when I I was a, a freshman in high school uh and i just remember going there's this can't be like it and and i don't remember if it was this profound but you know there there has to be more to it than just showing up three times a week and trying not to sin yeah and and so that really (laughs) set me on a journey yeah you know and and i was like man okay so if this is it like if it's king james only and whatever then i want i want all in right I, i want to figure it out but i remember being very dissatisfied with a lot of the answers I was being given and so I just really I'm grateful to the Lord cuz it set me on a path of not being satisfied and finding, you know, safe teachers, safe spaces to ask my questions and, you know, get answers and sort of, you know, go down that path.
1: Yeah, yeah, cuz you're right, safe is a great way to put that because uh you ask the wrong question to the wrong person. Right. And suddenly you're on the Dean's list or whatever, like, but not the good Dean's
0: list. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah.
1: I've definitely, I spent some time in the Dean's office being honest. Um, and, and it was, I guess I thought, is there, you know, Jesus went to a lot of work, right? Uh, be crucified, buried, resurrected there. You went to a lot of work. If this is it, that felt like a lot of work for what, what, what we were experiencing, what I was experiencing. And what, could there be more? Um, and could this, um, you know, could the grace really be amazing? Because the grace I had didn't feel amazing. It felt well. That that makes sense. You know, yeah. This grace made sense to me. If I do this, then I get that. If I'm well behaved, then I get that. That that is that makes that's logical. That's that's not grace, and that was a problem for my theology for a while. Like, I wonder how I, you know, live in this grace that the, the Colossians that Jesus speaks of. That and then wondering why does it even matter right, right. isn't it, is it that important for us and uh, and i can say from experience that the the beauty of grace that it's like if your grace isn't amazing then it's probably not the biblical version of it like if if your grace makes sense um uh, there's a line in a christian music song you know the problem with grace is that it's unfair
0: like yeah. i think that was a switchfoot song but um uh, i don't remember um or the good old Newsboy song, When We Get What We Don't Deserve. It's a real good thing.
1: Oh, we got some Newsboys quotes <laughs> yeah, on this.
0: Go. Oh, man, I love those guys. Um, so you go to Bible college, uh, and we wanna get, I
1: want to get to the meat of this teaching, but I'm curious because I dated in Bible college. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, again, very rules and regulation. Uh, you know, And by the way, some of my rules were you could not have your hair below your collar. Yes. Okay. Now, this was in the era of In uh, Excess, Michael Hutchins, and it turns out if you perm your hair and hang it down the front of your face, it doesn't technically go below your collar so i i definitely i push the boundaries of uh, some of the technicalities of uh of this and including with, with dating and but you meet becca who's awesome you meet her at uh this college mm-hmm. uh what's it like to um what's it like dating in that environment uh Because I'm assuming like, did wait, did guys have to sit on one side and girls on the other? Like when you're in a convocation or would they at least let you
0: intermingle there? Yeah. Well, so the, the school we met at, uh, was super rigid. Um, and you know, male, female interactions were to never be trusted and were only, you know, basically a springboard for, you know, um, doing things that you shouldn't be doing as a, you know, a boy and a girl in college. Um, and so it was just a lot of like fear mongering. Um, and so... Yeah, so we met and uh, we could, you know, if you ever wanted to date off campus, you actually had to one get permission and then you had to have a chaperone that you also had to pay for. So that basically discouraged any off campus dating because I was like, I can't even afford to take uh, Becca out. To dinner, let alone pay for an entire oh. other couple's dinner as well. Oh, so that's the etiquette. If you take them out, you got to pay for the couple as well, the chaperone. Yes, absolutely. Fascinating. I know. Yeah, it was. So there's a lot of there, <laughs> there were a lot of there, there were a lot that's of kind bears, of brilliant when
1: you think about it. Right. I
0: mean, they really try. They really tried to discourage. You know, so they were trying to keep everybody on campus in general. Is really kind of their ploy.
1: The episode of Seinfeld where uh, he's dating a Miss America candidate and uh, Kramer goes along as the chaperone for the date is. Coming to mind right now, it was, <laughs> like you're trying to like. Is it possible to ditch the chaperone? But I, I suppose you can't ditch them, even if you pay for their meal. Like are they on the clock?
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, there there were rumors that there were some chaperones that were cooler than others and would be more, you know, <laughs> chaperones like, on yeah. the take. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, but yeah. <laughs> We were fortunately only there for a year. She transferred at Semester because she's like, I didn't grow up in this. These people are crazy. I'm out of here. And well, that's right. she was a good Presbyterian girl. Well, no, she so she grew up uh, part of the uh, General Association of Regular Baptist uh, Churches.
1: I don't even know what that means. I
0: know. Uh, other than that means that they're not irregular, uh, which was a joke that I always <laughs> like to make. Um, need some more fiber in there. The, yeah, they didn't. They, <laughs> they didn't think that was funny. Um, I don't know. But, I would think not. And then so she that went to a little Bible college that her parents actually went to in Iowa, and then I finished out the year at this uh school and which will remain nameless and uh <laughs> and then transferred uh to the little bible college in iowa because i decided uh, i did not want to let her get away and i'm certainly glad that i did not yeah that was well played on your part yeah and you know well and the beautiful thing is is there was no alcohol involved in my courtship of her and so she said yes fully knowing what she was getting into so you know yeah, that's a
1: that's a win, by the way, because like uh, I think about all of our wives. If you if you signed up for this ride uh, to be married to someone in ministry, yeah, this is a crazy train. Did you are buying a ticket on? Like you better be called for that, including the guy being in it. Uh, and we're I mean we're ten years in, and bless my wife's heart. I feel like the, God has big old mansions for our wives. And I'm probably, obviously, there's no marriage in eternity or whatever, but I'm definitely going to be mowing her lawn for a very long time <laughs> yeah, when I get there. For sure. Um, so, okay, from Sunday, you were talking, uh, you, you dove deep into Colossians. Could you give us like a 30-second overview of what you, because I was going to, and I realized I'll probably not do as good of a job as you did since you were the one that gave the sermon.
0: But uh, let's we'll see if I remember everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Because after the third service, I'm yeah, like, exactly. my mind is flushed. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I'm,
1: I hope it was good because I don't remember anything I just said.
0: Yeah, no. So basically, uh, just looking at Colossians chapter 2, and Paul is writing to this group of believers in this town, that, in a group of believers that he never met. He didn't plant this church. And he's essentially warning them that, hey, you know, there's going to be groups of people that are going to come and try to distract you from the singular truth, which is that all you need is Jesus. Jesus is supreme over everything, which is what he does in chapter one. And then chapter two, he, he continues to um, you know, lay out evidence of that fact that all you need is Jesus. Every mystery, um, every piece of wisdom or knowledge that you could ever hope to attain or learn, it's all contained in Jesus. And don't let anyone try to convince you otherwise that you need to add, you know, stuff to a more spiritual experiences and you know, gets into like the worship of angels or, you know, being deceived by well-crafted arguments and, and that sort of thing. Right. So that's kind of the gist of it. And that
1: is, I mean, so timely. And I, you know, like we were just saying, I don't know whether I should be encouraged or discouraged that here we are 2000 years later and we're still having the same conversations. Because the idea of a workspace salvation is not just in a church setting right now. Mm-hmm. Our culture, like our our cultural catechism, if you will, is all about works in Western culture. If I work hard enough, uh, if I do this good enough, that's what we're being told from, the, you know, I guess what's kind of borderline hilarious and also terrifying is that most voices coming out of radical progressive corners right now are literally just reframing a works a secular humanist version of works-based salvation. Um just three weeks ago, he's deleted the tweet now, but um Raphael Warnock, who is a congressman and a, a pastor in in uh, Ebenezer, I think it's Ebenezer Baptist Church, right? Yeah. Don't don't quote me on the church I might get that wrong. He's from Georgia. But his tweet was the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I remember I've heard two or three progressives say this very thing. Because what they're really saying is whether he raised from the dead or not, it doesn't really matter. And I've heard like specifically in Easter sermons, which I'm like, well, why don't we all just go home? If he didn't raise from the dead, like I I got a lawn that I gotta mow, right? But so he says the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether you are Christian or not. Through a commitment to helping others we are able to save ourselves Raphael Warnock and that 's a pastor saying that like literally out loud he deleted it because I think and who knows I mean I've tweeted dumb stuff sure but I think he meant it like it doesn't it's not incongruent with the theology uh, that he has uh, purported and if you listen to these guys whether it's Rob Bell um, Stan Mitchell uh, Brian McLaren that, that come from a progressive uh, background in fact I, Stan Mitchell who was at Grace Point for years and years here in, in Nashville it, one of his famous lines is when we stand before the Lord he's not going to say well believed he's going to say well done and at the basis of it what he was trying to say was even if you don't believe 100% right you know Jesus is going to let you and, and there's there's this grain of truth in that right that you know some people believe in tongues some people don't some people believe this but Jesus didn't leave any like room for the idea that uh that that I could work my way into this like that if, I just if I really am a good person like that's literally what that means he's going to say well done <sighs> not well believe that that's the idea behind it that we're like that was the whole sermon that he had I think it's long gone from online um and I think that why this is important the people that we're reading right now that you see uh, leaving the faith, you uh, and I both, you talked about a little bit on Sunday, the young people, especially in their twenties who are leaving the faith, like the faith that they are leaving. Like, I don't recognize it when they start tweeting about it or writing about it or come like, Oh, well, I don't believe in that. That's not the Jesus. And what they're rejecting is a works based religion. 100%. and, and, and what they're saying is what you and I would have been saying at Bible college, right? This doesn't make any sense. Like, why am I, why do I got to be here Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I got to wear a shirt and tie and my hair has got to be above the collar, literally with a picture of Jesus right behind me with long hair on the wall. And nobody's apparently got a problem with him having long hair, right? They were asking legitimate questions, but they were leaving their faith behind and then turning to complete no faith at all, as opposed to the faith that uh, the the Bible, what, the faith that Paul talks about. Like they're not, when I read what they're rejecting, they're not rejecting Colossians. Like that's right. not, and I know you spend a lot of time with people right now. That's one of the things that James does here at the church is he spends a lot of time with guys in their young 20s. And I mean, you're encountering these kinds of questions, right? From them, like as they're struggling
0: with the, whether it's sex or theology or. Yeah, 100%. And you know, one of the things that I think stands out to me is that, like you said, I, I get their questions and I think they're legitimate and they should be asked. And, and these spaces that they're walking away from, they should walk away from those spaces because mm-hmm. those aren't God honoring, you know, what Jesus was about places. Yeah. Uh, but I think the danger is that they're believing this lie that that the version of Christianity that they were sold or were a part of for so many years, that that's, that's you know, indicative of all... Believers, yeah, and that there's not this beautiful tapestry of multiple swaths of people who are loving and following Jesus, and there's lots of them out there that are legitimate. Uh, that you, they're not, you know, um, spiritually abusing people. That they are trying to be genuine to the truths of Scripture. Uh, that they are trying to, you know, um, challenge the, the world's social issues and tackle them from a, a Christ God honoring perspective, and so that's the part where, you know, I'm trying to help them see like, okay, well, if you don't like this, that's fine. But don't just assume that the way left progressive Christianity version is automatically got something to offer you. Explore that 100%. If you want to read our, you know, authors like McLaren and Bell, and that's fine. But let me give you some other authors that you should also consider in your quest to sort of reconstruct your faith.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because that, you used a word, reconstruct, and that's not the word that they are using in those circles. They're saying deconstruct, right? Um, and that, if you, I mean, all that is, is destruction. There's no, right. that's not beauty. That's mm-hmm. just destruction. Uh, Josh Harris uh, is one of those that has uh, walked away from the faith. He's actually a, a, a writer now for The Guardian. Um and he, uh, here's a guy that, and he's still, so he's walked away from, and by the way, I think the same theological or similar theological background to where you would come from. And again, when I read his writings, I'm like, oh, I don't even know who that God is like that. Well, I would reject that too. That's, that's gross. Right. Um, but he just wrote this piece for the Guardian just recently. But one of the things he's talking about, like for those that have gone into where he's at, which is a fully atheist mode right now, fully, as far as I can tell, um, agnostic atheist the problem that he's experiencing right now is suddenly he has no way to give purpose or meaning or anything to what has happened in this last year. And so part of his piece says, for many of us, life without God has turned out to be life without fellowship and shared meaning. And in the midst of midst of the most disorienting, debilitating crisis, most of us have ever known that social tragedy now cries out for action. And what he's trying to build a case for over the piece of this article is to build a secular idea for purpose and meaning inside of this. But when you're reading it, he actually talks about, I have no language for this. I have no language to give for the purpose of this. I have no, without God, I have none of that. Uh, And again, that doesn't make God true just because you don't have an explanation for it. But what it does say is that if that's the road you're going down, like where Harris is right now, God bless him. We pray for him. I hope, you know, he that's the logical conclusion of it is that is at least have the courage to admit that if there is no God, then your life has no purpose and no meaning that at some point, our star is going to go dark. At some point, everyone that you've ever known and loved is going to be gone. And you will, no one will know who you are anymore. It will be meaningless without God. That's Ecclesiastes and it's the truth of life. And I have found a lot of these young guys that are there. They can't they still think that they can live in this deconstructed faith mode and have this whole new purpose and meaning in a secular humanist mode, which just turns out to be uh, in fact there's a guy named Ian harbor he's only got twenty nine hundred followers on Twitter and I don't know why this guy should have like a hundred thousand like he's a brilliant writer and he is a guy that went down that path uh, he didn't go f- as far as atheism, but he went for sure into the uh, the progressive circle so you mentioned like the bad Christian mm-hmm. podcast um uh, Michael Gunger, like the, the right. liturgist, whatever, like that was the road he was on. But here's what he, here's how he wrote. He actually came back to his faith, and he came back to it from a sense of, actually. And we had a little jolt there because we we're sitting, we we're actually sitting in Audrey's office, which is one of the preschool rooms, and the attic door just flew open, and out of it uh, came a vampire. I'm just kidding. Actually, this is one of the uh, the problems with our construction is we we're like there's people everywhere. If you could see outside our window right now, there's people everywhere working on our building, and apparently. A couple of them were in the attic, and we locked in the attic. So what I was saying was that Ian Harbour is somebody that I think should be more widely read. He is a, a guy that went totally down the progressive Christian hole and asked the honest questions that were good. And here's something that he wrote that is just unbelievable. He says, and then I ran into a problem. As I kept listening and reading, I realized I didn't have the tools to rebuild, and I wasn't receiving any from these voices. Every belief I held had been neatly disassembled and laid bare on the floor for examination, but there was no guidance for putting something back together. Helping people deconstruct their faith without also helping put it back together again is lazy, irresponsible, and dangerous and isolating. The goal of deconstruction should be greater faithfulness to Jesus, not mere self-discovery or signaling of one's virtue. He goes on to say, as the liturgists journeys progressed, they became increasingly lockstep with progressive platform of the political left. And this is is what it really got me. It reminded me of the conformity of conservative Christians to whatever the Republican Party told them to believe. When the 2016 election ended, I had a strange experience. I shared the progressives concern for the country, but I also saw them using the same litmus tests that the conservatives had used of my youth. Just now on the other side of the aisle, now if you held a historic Christian sexual ethic, you were backwards. You were a bigot. If you considered abortion morally wrong, you were anti-woman. Progressives had just become a, fundam- as a fundamentalist as the fundamentalists they despised. Only now, instead of traditional values being the litmus test, it was wokeness. If you didn't tow the party line of the progressive orthodoxy, you were an outcast and a heretic. And I'm just gonna, one more paragraph of this. It was just so good. Wokeness was the new morality. Therapy was the new path to happiness. Cancel culture was the new church discipline, and like uh, MTD, which what MTD uh, there was a I said something earlier and I can't wait to stand for. There was conveniently no personal God to place demands on your life. Oh, moral therapeutic deity, uh, deism is what he's talking about. Uh, there was no uh, personal God to place demands on your life in any meaningful way in this quote progressive moral therapeutic uh, deism, Elizabeth. Gilbert's trope is the only thing left, and this is what I wanted to hear. God dwells within you, as you. There's no way to distinguish between ourselves and God in this paradigm. We are God, and that's the progressive side of it. And uh, as far as progressive Christianity. And Paul was wasn't it like a pagan culture where it was just another version like they would have called it like paganism and like whether it's witchcraft or whatever wasn't he like that would have been the battle in those days with that was the competing religion? Yeah, well,
0: there was there was two. There's you know you had a group of Jewish people. That, oh, Judaism you too. Know, yeah, right, yeah. You know, so they're they're spread throughout the Mediterranean as well. And so while they may have you know accepted the Messiah as Jesus, there was still this temptation to pull them back into the the, the law keeping, um, methods of Judaism. Right. So that would almost be similar to maybe probably sort of our conservative, you know, um, circles. Sure. Right? And then on the other side, you had these, you know, ancient, um, mystery religions, uh, that promised, you know, a higher level of enlightenment and understanding experiences with the divine. And, and basically you just had to follow a very, very strict, you know, bodily discipline, a lot of fasting involved, and then you could achieve these sort of higher existential experiences. Um, and Paul is basically saying to both of those things, no, interesting, you know, stay focused on Jesus. Everything you could ever want and or need is found in him and just keep pressing in, into him. And I think that's the part too, that, you know, when, when people are like discarding it and then moving to sort of this uh, progressive Christianity, they're, they're still a s- establishing a set of truth claims. I mean, right. that's what I appreciate about Keller. It's like, just be honest and say that you're establishing a new set of truth claims and then just at least tell us where you're getting those truth claims from. What are you basing them on? Yeah. So where, where I can say is I'm basing them on the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified and the truths that I find in scripture. What are you basing yours on? Yeah and you know what and how do you know that that yours are legitimate if there's no sort of foundational piece because what happens when the collective you know and i think you know you're seeing that like in, in the me too movement like everything that everyone thought everyone was sort of agreeing on especially like in terms of sexual ethics and, right. and whatnot now the rules have changed right right and, and, that, and then pe- and some people like, they feel like they're playing a different game and they're having to, you know, adapt all of a sudden when, when you have the timeless truth of scripture, uh, I feel like you're at a much better sort of uh, landing spot yeah. in terms of comparison.
1: And maybe that's what's happening. Even when you see it, not maybe I'm a hundred percent sure it is what's happening in a secular culture when there is no uh, plumb line for truth, it becomes super nebulous and it becomes very fluid so when you hear comedians like Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld and even Steve Carell talk about like Steve Carell, like we could not make The Office
0: today. That's what, 10 years ago that The Office ended its run? Right. right. I, I, you know, you go back and watch some of those episodes and you're like, yeah, there's no way they could make those right. episodes today. Yeah, there was, a,
1: there was an episode of This American Life about a year and a half ago and they were interviewing a young girl who was, a, I mean, full-blown, progressive, woke, the whole production. And she used the word tranny in a tweet. And she was obliterated, crucified online. Literally her entire world was up and on a word that she didn't know she couldn't use anymore. And if you think back to the office episode of Phyllis being Santa Claus, I mean, Michael calls her a tranny Claus and it's like this hilarious thing, But, but here we are 10 years later and that would be enough to get them canceled in this Culture and the 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 what you're describing is like this shifting sand of I don't know what's what's right or wrong anymore and I think that that's what a lot of people when you even hear people say and polls show this out the vast majority of people are actually afraid to say what political view they hold uh, online there which I don't know who those people are because everybody on my timeline <laughs> seems to be perfectly fine with it but anyway but apparently seventy percent of the people out there don't like to do that because they're afraid to say what they really think because they could be canceled or could be ostracized for it and the challenge and even atheists can again back to the comedians who would have thought that it's the comedians right that are leading us uh, with wisdom right now Bill Maher talking about like that's one of his bits every week is okay new rule right and one of the new rules is you can't make a new rule about a word that we all agreed last week was okay and this week we can't and act like we've just been like been this way the whole time but if, if you have no basis for a truth claim then someone can make up a new one. And I think what's so confusing about the whole thing is nobody's in charge of it. So you don't know anymore. Uh, I, I've mentioned it, I think, at a sermon a couple weeks ago, but Marcus Littrell, uh the the lone survivor, Navy SEAL guy, and he's being interviewed by Joe Rogan. And Rogan, they're talking about cancel culture. And Luttrell genuinely, I mean, I guess if you're a Navy SEAL, you're doing push-ups when everybody else is watching TikTok. He genuinely has no idea what's going on. Uh, you know, guy's been, like, shot, you know, To almost death Pulled out of a mountain anyway And he's asking Rogan So who's in charge of that? Like the cancel Like he's genuinely trying to figure out Who's in charge of cancel culture And who makes the decision He wasn't even trying to be funny And Rogan like literally loses it He's like That's the problem Like nobody's in charge of it We're just making it up As we go along And now what's Genuinely happening Is you've got In that side of it Where there is no truth uh, And again It's what's about works It's not even about Am I uh, not a racist It's now Am I anti-racist enough it's not am I you know pro LGBT, but am I not you know anti enough? Like I have to really put this to it, and so you're, you know even um, like Matt Taibbi, one of his uh, series in the last few weeks, uh, a couple of months, is actually Meet the Censored, and he's literally uh, every week there's a, a new story of somebody whose life has been completely uprooted and censored, and he's every one of them he's bringing out are all liberal, progressive, secular humanists who are being canceled, uh, one of which is, again, Glenn Greenwald, I've quoted him before, openly gay, and he's being called anti-homophobe, <laughs> anti-trans, he's like, but he, because he's not followed the party line that has been part of the orthodoxy of it. And to me, what all this is, is a secular version of the Pharisees counting their salt. It's, it's, a, it's a secular version of Muslims counting their couscous. When you go to, uh, Morocco or someplace and and they invite you in for dinner, which is always a wonderful, they're very welcoming, they will count, uh, they, they will a lot of times serve couscous because in their workspace thing, if you get um, every couscous, every little one is, is it a couscous a thing or is it like a couscous? Whatever it is. Every little grainy thing counts as one good work as opposed to a potato which only counts as one. So they'll serve things like rice or couscous because you can multiply your good works to get into heaven Uh and I don't remember who said it, it might've been Tim Keller, but every culture has blasphemy laws. Yeah. Um, it just, it, cause everybody, and you know what it is by based on what you're allowed to say and not to say. And so if you're going to deconstruct your faith, you're going to be Jesus plus secular wokeness, Jesus plus religion, Jesus plus whatever. It always ends up to the same thing, which is exhausting Pharisees. You know, Satan's greatest trick was not prostitutes. His greatest trick was Pharisees because Pharisees, uh, live like they're holy, uh, and you can't possibly ever keep up with it. And to, to, I mean, I don't think any, I don't know if anybody young is even listening to our podcast, but if you are, or if you're the parent of somebody who's young, know that these are legitimate questions that you're probably wrestling with, but don't shipwreck your faith on the questions, find the answers and let the chips fall where they may. Um, if, if, the internet had been around when I was going through my faith crisis in the nineties, who knows how many, how much damage I would have done uh, while I was asking and wondering. And because eventually I landed someplace and, you know, I've got a friend uh, named John that I've known for years and years and years. He was a lead singer of a very popular Christian band and he's going through this journey, but he's living it very publicly. And, you know, it makes me sad for him because I know that he's on the journey and he genuinely is seeking truth. But part of me wishes that, that he would, At least get to where he finds the truth and then go from there as opposed to living it uh, out of oh i'm just asking the question kind of thing it doesn't make him intellectually dishonest it doesn't mean that he's a bad person it just means i just wish that there wasn't the internet for that purpose so that he could get through that journey and then land because again my journey I don't know where i would have been if i would have just been asking questions on twitter and asking questions on a podcast like i don't know where it would have been but asking if you're a young person if you're an old person you're struggling with that faith do the work you know uh don't don't shipwreck your faith on the questions find the answers and then let the truth fall where it is because i think that like what you were saying with some of these people hey there are other teachers out there there are other people out there that uh you can't basically throw out the jesus just because this preacher was bad or just because this methodology was uncomfortable, um, go, but go find the, the real truth. And at least if you're going to reject God, at least reject God
0: and not some version, right? That you've made up, Yeah, you know, in your head. Well, and even to talk about some of the, you know, ideas of, of wokeness. And, and I think part of when we center on Jesus, um, we don't run into those same types of problems in terms of using words that you're not allowed to use or slurs or things that we are just not aware of right or wrong. And and we're not going to get into the, you know, the specifics here, but, but to understand that when you focus on Jesus, then you have respect for all people. And so you're not, you know, finding ways to use, you know, uh, funny terms that basically put down a, you know, subsection of the population in order to make yourself feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that's what's so great about Jesus is that he helps us navigate some of these storms that if we just stay centered on him and we're treating people with dignity and respect all around us, regardless of whether or not they agree with us, um, then we avoid some of these pitfalls just naturally on their own. Yeah. And
1: I, I guess that's the, 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 the bottom line, right? Is that when it comes back to Christ and him crucified and us being crucified with Christ yet we live, uh, cause I promise, uh, I saw a meme or whatever that you know Americans are so racist that when it's being protested that it's not even recognized as whatever racism and it sounded really funny ha 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 but racism was not invented in America right like that is a global yeah. issue and when it comes down to racism it's it's even more than that it's tribalism you know when you get into african nations when you get into you know Sudan and you have this tribe and this tribe they literally live next door to each other and hate each other because of decades, uh, of violence between them. And, uh, and the only way that those guys come to it, because it's the truth is, is this, this one did this and this one did this and this one did this and this. And the only way that, that, that violence can end is with someone who f- first dies with Christ and says, I'm going to forgive you. Uh, it's that kind of Christianity because there are no peace talks when your grandpa was hauled off and murdered by someone else's grandpa. Yeah. Uh, and if someone is interested in that, just study the, the, the genocide that happened in Rwanda. Uh, it, it makes what we have seen in our country look like child's play. Uh, and to see the forgiveness that people have offered each other, that Christianity was not an interruption of it. It was actually the fuel for it to bring peace to that. And when I it's funny because in the name of white privilege, there's so much white privilege <laughs> because the privilege of even thinking that racism is an American idea is actually dripping with privilege because the world itself, history, it is a sin problem. It is a sin problem in America. It is a sin problem in Africa, in Asia. In uh, in the Middle East right now, mm-hmm. I mean that's what we were so crazy. You know, we, when we get into the Middle East with uh with our country and we're gonna bring freedom, right? We're gonna bomb Iraq and then we're gonna we're gonna bring free- everybody's gonna love freedom. We didn't have any idea that inside of this one country were like hundreds of tribes, you know, hundreds of religions, and they all were at battle with each other. And there wasn't just some we take for granted, right? That in our country this thing that we experienced this the experiment called you know the constitution and, and a republic is not the way that history has played out normally. And the only interruption of that is, I believe, well, I know, it's probably why Jesus didn't spend a lot of time talking about Rome. He spent a whole lot of time talking about forgiveness and loving your neighbor as yourself. And he spent a whole lot of time about taking up your cross and following me because uh, the Genesis three world does not uh, end until Jesus returns. And so we have to somehow live as Jesus, live as ambassadors of him in that. It doesn't mean that we, ignore what's going on around us, but it also means that if you're a young person and you realize that, Hey, I'm going down, whether it's the woke world or whatever, that like you can recognize that's another version of Phariseeism in the same way that your daddy's was a religion of Phariseeism. And we can all go back to Jesus and say that it's, uh, the grace that he gave. I mean, it's why (laughs) The, the thing that was so hilarious to me, uh, listening this about a month ago, I was hearing two giant, uh, Titans of epidemiology talking about, um, this past year we reached the year anniversary of the rona and they were shocked uh the 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 npr host asked what they were the most surprised by and these brilliant minds said that both of them said the thing they were the most surprised by was the lack of compliance with people of what they wanted them to do and i thought you guys are brilliant how could you be a moron like that's Ask any pastor a hundred, if anything required a hundred percent participation, that's not a plan that's doomed for failure. That's why grace is so important in Christianity because it's the one faith that says by grace, are you saved not by works lest Any man should boast because if it's about works, then I'm going to boast my way into it. If it's about works, I'm going to then hide in my shame from it. If it's about works, I'm not going to make it. And if any, whether it's medical science, religion, whatever, uh, and it, and it, when people say it feels like a religion, it has been a religion. When people are getting Pharisees or barking and yelling at this or that, or that, you come back to Christ and him alone. It's literally, uh, I'm grateful because without grace, if I remember asking a Muslim three years ago now, ask her, uh, if, if this was true, right? Cause the way a Muslim believes, uh, the way the, the Quran is written at the end of their life, there are these two scales. Uh, it's kind of what I thought of Mark, uh, my friend, Mark, who works over there says, I didn't realize I was I, my whole life. I was a good Muslim. I just didn't know it. Like, cause it was all about if I have one more good work than bad work at the end of my life and the scale is just enough higher then I'm in heaven. If it's one work bad, then I'm in hell, uh, for the rest of my life. And I asked her like, what would you, what would you think? Cause they, you know, you've gotten through to a Muslim about grace if they're mad about it because it's not fair. They don't understand it. It makes them angry. And, uh, especially in North Africa. And I asked her, what would you do if that was true? And she says, well, I'd i would I'd be able to sleep tonight hmm. uh, if that was true, I could sleep at night. And I thought, and here's a 19 year old that knows that no amount of works is going to be enough to get you in. And it's no amount that's gonna make Jesus love you anymore. And there's no amount like why you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you that you would go back to this rules and regulations that you know didn't work. You tried it and it didn't. Why are you going back And to us? in America, and the church here, oh, foolish Americans. Why would you go back to a new set of rules and regulations, whether it's secular humanism, whether it's progressive Christianity, or whether it's hardcore old time religion or whatever? Like, why would we go back to that one? Jesus, uh, James, we got like just about five minutes here. What, what are, what are a closing thoughts that if you don't get to say anything else, I want them to know this from me.
0: Uh, I think it's a couple things. One, you know, if you're passionate about wokeness or how woke you aren't i think jesus would call us to be the first people to extend the olive branch to the other side because the only way forward i think in this country is if we as believers start to be people who are we- who are willing to have reasonable conversations with one another civil conversations with one another loving conversations and we don't have to agree right? The tolerance doesn't mean I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Tolerance means I allow you to have a different opinion and I still want to be your friend, Yeah, right? And I think that's something that, that if we're ever going to hope to to spread the love of Jesus to those that we disagree with the most you know, vehemently, uh, that's got to be the first step. And then I think the other thing too is, you know, I was uh, listening to a podcast with John Mark Comer and, and he talks about how it's brilliant how Jesus never gave us a list of um, things that we had to do once we followed him. He didn't say you must read the Bible for X amount of minutes per day, or certain number of chapters, or pray for this length of time, or fast this many times a week. Everything that he invites us to into uh, as as a discipline is just an invitation. He just says follow me, hmm. uh, and he doesn't really command it necessarily. and uh, And I think that's the beauty of his invitation is that we are allowed to get grace. Yeah, right? we're allowed. We get grace for for free, right? It costs Jesus everything, yep. um, but he offers it to us. And then the extent to which we accept his invitation to follow him into a fulfilled life, life to the full yeah. is what transforms our experience on this side of heaven. And I, and that's, I just go back to that press into him. And it's amazing that the, the further you press into Jesus, the more the extraneous distracting things in your life seem to fade because all you're worried about is what is God calling me to do next? And, and then the, the gratitude and the outlook on life, the joy that comes from that, it just overflows. And then it's contagious and people want to be a part of that. They want to know what, what it is that makes you that way. Yeah. That's actually really good because that's like nobody
1: in this room anyway, would be suggesting just live however you want to live right sin as much as you want to sin <laughs> yeah. and and the reason is that and i think i know the reason that jesus hates sin so much is not uh because he you know he's trying to be a buzzkill it's like he knows what it what it does to us like his his commands are like invitations for our flourishing yeah and so you know commands around sexuality commands around uh integrity you know the where we're going to blow it is in, in those areas and and when we blow it, you know, when, if, if I'm blowing it uh, sexually, if I'm blowing it with integrity, it, it literally drives a wedge in my wife with, a, with my marriage. It hurts my friends that are, you know, there is no such thing as victimless sin. And so it, it, it is the grace that you're saved. It's your there's no more scale. There's no living that. Now it's about like those moments like that, that it breaks his heart because it's going to break other people. Uh, I think it's Jeremiah one where he tells Israel, it's your own backsliding that hunted you down. Hmm. And it, it, which basically reads to me, like, you know, Romans six, he says, you're dead to sin Romans seven. Then he goes right into, but why do I do the things I don't want to do? And I'm thinking, does right. this, is this guy been like in my room? Is he following what I'm supposed to do? I don't want to do what I'm not supposed to do. I do this hopeless. And he ends chapter seven with, oh, you know." wicked helpless wretched man that i am who's going to save me from this body of sin he says thank god through christ jesus and then romans 8 1 and therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in christ and i would say what the 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 hope that i gain from that is that um i'm gonna struggle with things of morality it's when I give up the struggle and throw up the white flag and say, this is how I'm made. And now I'm just going to give into this and I'm just going to be this. That's where the problem really begins. But as long as I'm living in Romans seven of the struggle, uh, not to earn it, but to say, I'm just trying cause I don't want to hurt my wife anymore. I don't want to hurt my children anymore. I don't want to, you know, all they've already got plenty to talk about in therapy of the things I've done to them. I don't want to give them any more. And then Romans eight, one is true. And because of that, there's no condemnation in it. And that's, the Jesus plus nothing right there, therefore, because he talks about Jesus through Jesus Christ, that's why uh, there's no
0: condemnation. And it's just the gospel, it's as simple as that. And and one final thing too, is that, you know, living in that struggle, um, over time, the more we press into Jesus, you know, the, those guardrails that we had in place, they're like training wheels. Yeah. Yeah. And like eventually there is freedom to be experienced or else why in the world did like Jesus die and rise again? If we can't have power. Yeah. That's good by the to way. like defeat sin even in this life. Yeah. Um, because otherwise like we're just sort of white knuckling it to the end and that's no way to live. Yeah. either.
1: Yeah. Cause if I think back to, uh, Mike is not nearly old enough to do this yet, but someday you'll be 40 or older in my case and maybe a tv show will come on that you're like oh i love this show i want to watch this again and you're watching it going go i I watched that that was in my 20s like that's that's perverse that's demonic that's whatever right i'd never made a decision to not like that anymore but somewhere in my discipleship and in following of jesus that part of me fell away and i don't desire or yeah that anymore and you're right there are things that that i have received and experience uh, an enormous amount of victory over and there are things that i'm still f- you know battling for victory in those areas and uh and, and not to get saved not to stay saved not to get blessed but just because i want my i want my life to flourish in the way that jesus offered it to us so you uh if you followed us this far <laughs> i hope you walk away uh with the idea and the notion that jesus loved you enough to to say it is finished, not it is beginning on the cross. Uh, he did not say, I'm just getting warmed up. Uh, he said, it's finished. Hmm. And we get to uh, stand in the finished work uh, of, of grace and then move into the work that he's called us to, uh, which is literally to be sons and daughters of, of the king, to be brothers, heirs in Christ with him. Um, thank you for those of you that listen. We so appreciate it. Uh, if you want more information, like, uh, in fact, if you're going to be around this week in the Conduit area, if you're in Franklin, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, we are still at three services, um, ConduitChurch.com. You can find information about us there. Uh, we are rapidly moving towards a brand new sanctuary that will be done. Uh, we're being told June 13th is when we're going to be fingers gonna, crossed. Uh, yeah. in the new place. I've actually just stopped paying attention. I'm being honest to that. Like I just, we'll be in there when we're in there. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm booking. I'm going to Haiti in, in May. I'm going to Honduras. I'm like I, I've just got to get about the father's business. We'll let the building build itself. Um, I mean, we got people here that know what they're doing. They don't need me. So, uh, but we'd love to have you visit us here. Thank you for when you share. When you uh, you know leave reviews, it actually helps other people to hear this stuff. Uh, this Sunday, I am. Uh, we're starting in Joseph for eight weeks. Uh, we're just going to go through the story of Joseph. What is true about God. is true whether it's in the pit, whether it's in the prison, or whether it's in the palace. Uh, God's truth is true in all places. So I'm excited about that for the next eight weeks. Uh, I'm trying to think what else would Mo would say at this moment. I probably would have been super uh, clear and thoughtful, but it's me and you've got. So uh, we appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) We hope you guys will listen again next week.